Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before, the, and run, and to run before his chariots. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Father in heaven, thank you for calling us by name. Speak your fatherly wisdom into us now through your holy word, through my words, and cause us, Lord, evermore to be transformed in your image and likeness as individuals and as the people who are becoming St. Bartholomew's. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Well, welcome, everyone. It's very good to see you. It is our second Sunday of Ordinary Time. It is our second Sunday in this 10-week series on becoming a people. We're going to be in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel over the next 10 weeks until August 12th. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be glorious. I want to make a quick caveat, a quick disclaimer. As we are becoming St. Bartholomew's and we're getting ready to launch our new website, we have two talented and gifted um, tag, which is how you abbreviate that, talented and gifted photographers and videographers. So they're trying to be as, as unobtrusive as possible, but don't be surprised if you see someone walking around with the camera. I forgot to say that at the beginning of the service. So we're in the second week of this 10 weeks of becoming a people. And what we're doing is we're looking at the life and the story of the people of Israel, especially in the monarchy. And we're looking at their story and seeing what insights can we glean from Israel's story that we can apply to our collective story of becoming St. Bartholomew's. But more importantly, what insights can we glean for us as individuals? What can we learn from Israel? Last week, we, we heard the story of Samuel's call. We talked about calling. We talked about being ready. And that's one thing that God wants us to do this summer as we on July 1st become St. Bartholomew's and in the fall have our big sort of relaunch service the second Sunday of September, September 9th, mark your calendars. As we do that, God wants us to be ready emotionally, mentally, 
very much spiritually, as he continues to bring his kingdom in our midst, as he continues to draw people to himself, the risen Christ, glorified on the cross, raised from the dead, ascended on high, pouring out the Spirit, God wants us to be ready. So I'm asking you to be ready to think about these things. Think about this transition of moving from a, a church plant under All Saints Dallas into our own church. Some of you may think, well, that's not that big of a deal, Jay. But it is a big deal. And I want us to be ready. There is a book called Growing Yourself Up by Jenny Brown. And she talks about, she, right? Jenny, yeah. Gosh, you just never know with you know, people's names. Jay, could be a guy named girl name. Um, sorry. She speaks of different moments of differentiation that an individual has. And she says one of the most important ones is leaving home. When you leave home, that's a moment of differentiation. It's a moment when you begin to understand yourself as yourself, not yourself as, well, I'm the son of Jerry, son of Gene, brother of Matthew, but I'm Jay. And for us as St. Bartholomew's, collectively, we're going to be engaging a process of leaving home. And we want to do that well. Because when we get into these sorts of transition moments, all sorts of anxieties can crop up. That doesn't mean that they're wrong or bad, but it just means that we want to be aware of them and ready for them. And tonight, I really want to talk to you about Israel's search for significance. Israel's search for legitimacy. Now, last week we saw Samuel was called as a prophet. And remember, I told you, all of these next 10 weeks is about Israel's monarchy. Well, there were no kings involved last week. But remember what we had to have before we could have a king? A crown, a throne. No, you had to have a prophet to anoint the king. You had to have a priest to preside over the king, with the king. So here we are. Samuel now has ruled as a prophet, a priest, and a judge in Israel. Remember what we read last week? From all the way up in Dan in the very far north, all the way down to Beersheba, Samuel was known as a prophet whose words would not fall. It says that the Lord would not let his words fall. And now the people of Israel come to Samuel and they have a request. Now think about us as a people, as a church becoming St. Bartholomew's, but also think about yourself, no matter what stage of life that you're in, whether you're just leaving home or maybe your kids have just left home or maybe you're in the, towards the end of your life and you're looking back and reflecting. But think about this. Israel comes to Samuel, and for good reason. Hey, Samuel, your sons are great and all, but they're not going to be able to rule us. Appoint for us a king, a judge. Or appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. What I want us to see this passage in light of is Israel's search for legitimacy. Samuel, appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Can you imagine Israel with all these neighboring nations around them? They've been through a lot. They've left the land of Egypt where God with mighty hand and outstretched arm smote all the Egyptians in the Red Sea, the ten plagues, all the stuff. They wander through the desert. They make a royal mess of that. And now, here they are, they've been judged you know, for several years by these uh, disparate judges, and now they want a monarchy. 
They want a king. And why do they want a king? So that we can be like all the nations. Hey, they've got a king. Hey, they've got a king. We need a king. Now think about your own life. When you were younger, or maybe you are younger, and so you're experiencing this now, you knew that you needed certain markers of significance. You knew that you needed to have a way to make a living, for instance. And oftentimes in that living, there was a sign of significance. You needed to understand who you were, who you are in terms of identity, personality, gifts, etc., But you were, as Richard Rohr talks about in his book, Falling Upward, when he describes two halves of life, a first half of life and a second half of life. In that first half of life, many of us are building a container, he says. Our living, our community, who's going to be doing this with us? Our family, significant friends and others. And how we make that living, our personality, those traits. And we see in other people's lives things that we can easily compare. Well, that person's significant, or at least in my own eyes, I see them as significant. I want to be significant. I want to have that title. Or I want to live in that neighborhood. Or I want to drive that car. Or I want to wear that little white piece of plastic around my neck. Pick your poison. (laughs) But that's the thing. They're not all bad. Are they? Because you have to make a living. Trust me, your parents, I don't know your parents, but they don't want you living at their house. They told me. (laughs) They texted me, which is really odd. I expected Facebook, but not a text from them. (laughs) Sorry. There's nothing bad in and of themselves in those things. They're, They're like the framework for our lives. But there comes a point where, as I described about a year ago, and I've mentioned here and there in bits and pieces, that we realize finally that we're pregnant with pain. That there's something that we need healing from that all these really good things, a salary, deep community, notoriety, the doctorate, the second doctorate, the master's, the seven kids, the what, just whatever it is, you fill in the blank, because none of them are wrong but all of us have them. There's a point to where we realize that thing, this marker of legitimacy or significance is not going to pull me through. It is not something by which I will not be shaken. For me, the things that I really deal with, and I'm learning about this acutely right now, are perfectionism, or really just perfectionism, and achievement. In my mind, if I can achieve enough stuff, if I can do enough things, and for me, it's in the religious priestly context, maybe if I can keep this microphone on my head, that will be a marker of significance. Here we go. I think it's good now. But for me, it's having everything lined up just right. You know, just plotted out in its perfect little way, and it's good, and it's right. And when somebody calls my identity into question, I can say, look, Look at all my stuff organized perfectly. You see? Significance. Again, these aren't bad things. These are good and beautiful things. But there has to be something more. Israel asking for a king just so happens. This is kind of a bad ask, 
as we'll see in just a moment. They want some sort of authority. They want to be, they know that order is good. I mean, heck, they have, in the words of the Old Testament writers, they have whored themselves away to foreign gods and to the people who serve those foreign gods. They have not abided in the covenant love that God gave them. That Hebrew word, which is chesed, they have not abided in this deep covenant love that is unfailing that is unchanging, that is unswerving. But maybe if you see it as in this two halves of life picture, Israel in, this, in the beginning of their journey of becoming a people, they think, you know what? We've had this, we have this land, it's flowing with milk and honey. Maybe we need a king now. Let's see what happens. Samuel goes to God because Samuel doesn't like this. Samuel is a godly man and he prays to the Lord, verse six, now verse six, now verse seven. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. It's too intangible, isn't it? To expect an invisible God to suffice to be a king over a people. It's too abstract. I mean, yeah, we have this tabernacle at Gibeon or at Shiloh at this point. We have this tabernacle. We have these priests. We have this prophet. We've got these tribes. We've got a story. We've got a history. We've got all the things in the making for a great people. But we need a king. And God tells Samuel, Samuel, they've not rejected you but they're rejecting me as being king over them. Remember what Jesus said to Thomas. Oh, you've seen, and so now you believe? I tell you, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And so Samuel goes back to the people of Israel, and he says, listen, I get it. I know you want this king, but here's what he's going to do. You ready for the laundry list? This is just a few of them. Verse 11, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. Do you want a king so that he can send your children, your sons into war? Is that really what you want? Is that really what you want? These markers of significance that will take from you the best that you have to give? And send them off to be obliterated? You follow me? Our pursuit for legitimacy, our pursuit for significance, can be like sending the best of ourselves, the best of our progeny, into battle. Babes in arms, only to be slaughtered, metaphorically. Is that really what you want, Samuel goes on. Not only that, but he will take your male servants and your female servants. Do you remember what the prophet Joel said about male and female servants? That even on them, the spirit of God would be poured out. I, just, I hear that echo as I read this. He will take your male servants and your female servants, people who are made in the image of God, people on whom one day God would pour out the very essence of his being in his spirit. 
this king will take them. Not only that, he's going to take your donkeys. He's going to take the engine of your work. And he's going to put them to his work. You see, at some point, we realize that we really are a part of this big machine. And that we think we're acquiring for ourselves more significance and more things and more comfort and more safety and more security. But we realize that we're just giving our donkey to some other guy on most likely one of the two coasts who then puts that donkey to work for him. It's good. It creates the container of our lives, but it's not enough to carry us through. You see, eventually in our lives, remember I said we're pregnant with pain. Eventually in our lives, we receive this ironic invitation. It's like what St. Paul said of the apostles' ministry, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, hey, we are like the scum of the earth, the off-scouring of people's shoes. And you remember about people's shoes back then, right? It wasn't like they were walking on turf. We are the off-scouring, he says. But there's this invitation, there's this ironic invitation down a long pathway that looks like it leads to death, but because of our Lord Jesus Christ, where does it lead us? It leads to life. You mean if I let go of these things, Jay, that are giving meaning to my life, that are giving me significance, I'm not asking you to sell the things. I'm not asking you to give away your children. I'm saying if you let go of these things, they won't be all-consuming. That we can find we will live a life that is in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say? They thought he was off his rocker. He's filled with a demon, Beelzebub. Jesus had already seen the first half of life and he was well into the second half of life. Man's opinion mattered nothing to him. And when his family calls them to himself, come, come be with your family, he said, hey, this is my family. Now, did he say, my family, you are dead to me in the very Jewish way and I'll never see you again? No. What did he say with his mother on Golgotha in St. John? Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. He cared for them to the end, but he realized a new reality that these, were, these anchors that, he, that other people would put, put their lives on were not enough. He knew that his life would lead to Jerusalem, to the cross, to death, to the very depths of hell in order to redeem all of creation. That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that he is Lord. That everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord would be saved. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No. We hear what you're saying, but no. 
There shall be a king over us. Notice the reason, verse 20, that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. In these first days and months and years of our life together as St. Bartholomew's, as God is making us a people, what will it be? What will be those necessary things that we must engage in? This seems to be not the place to stand. What will be those necessary things that we must engage in that if we're not careful, if we're not wise, if we're not present and ready, we will give ourselves over to them. I'll give you a few. Budget. More money. More budget. More staff. Bigger stuff. Sunday morning. A building of our own. Shall I keep going? These are all good things, right? None of them are bad. But the temptation will be to say, oh God, give us a building so that we can just have a place of our own like all the other churches in East Dallas. Oh God, give us uh, double our budget so that we can do all the things that we really want to do. And that's good. Unless God says, not yet. Or unless God says, you know, it's not a matter of money, but a matter of obedience. It's a matter of trusting me down to the very depth and the core of your being. Hmm. In the second half of life, we realize that it's not the stuff, but now it's the intangible things. In fact, it's the things that in C.S. Lewis's story, The Great Divorce, it's the things that make the pilgrims in heaven much more solid. That they do experience that differentiation. Whereas six months ago or six years ago, they would have experienced high anxiety at, what are we going to do? We didn't make budget. What are we going to do? We're still meeting on Sunday nights and it's 2019. What are we going to do? Fill in the blank. What are we going to do? I'm unemployed. What are we going to do? We never thought we'd make what we're making now. We need more. God, help us. In those moments, God gives us not only what we need, be assured, my friends, see the sparrows, Jesus said. See the lilies of the field. Remember what St. Paul said, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that because godliness with contentment is of great gain. Not only that, though, but God will cultivate. The Father who sees that we're pregnant with pain, who ultimately issues that ironic invitation down that path that looks like it's toward death, and in fact it is, but it's death with Christ and resurrection, and who presides over all of it, he is working a work in you and in me and us as a people that is intangible. In fact, St. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4, and it's almost like, like C.S. Lewis is echoing St. Paul. He says, because these light and momentary afflictions are earning for us, church, an eternal weight of glory, a depth of soul, a breadth of life. That some will look and shake their head because they won't understand because it doesn't have the markers of significance that they've built their lives around. It doesn't have all the things that they're leaning on, that they're depending on to be unshaken. But we can rest assured. 
Because God loves us. God has blessed us. He has spoken us into being. And even a foreign prophet from Assyria, Balaam, who would later be really called out by Jesus in Revelation chapter 2, even he knows that what God has blessed, he can't curse. A king of Edom, Balak, wants him to curse the people of Israel. This is Numbers chapter 23. He says, curse them, because I want to go in and I want to take their land. I want to take their possessions. I want to take everything. And Balaam says, you know what? I've asked of the Lord. And what God has blessed, no one can curse. So friends in Christ, those markers of significance that we've built a container out of for our lives, those are not to be condemned. But remember, they cannot sustain us for the long haul goes for us individually, goes for us collectively, and to be sure, it goes for us as we become St. Bartholomew's. Let's pray. Father, give us wisdom to see the things even now that we're asking for that we say, give us a king. Show us, Lord, not only our, our nearsightedness in asking, but show us the true and better thing. And Lord, we thank you that even in the asking for a king, we see King David. And infinitely more important, we see our King Jesus. And so, oh God, we fall on you so that we will not be shaken. We rest in you, so that you will do the deep works, the intangible works, as you preside over our lives, over our suffering, over our rejoicing, and over our true significance, being your children, made in your image, not doing a thing to deserve your love, not doing a thing to impede your love. It's in that love that we rest and pray. Amen.